So today we are continuing on our conversation on the Holy Spirit. We started this a few weeks ago, and then we kind of broke for the holidays and some things. But I want to come back to talking about the Holy Spirit and the many facets and the many roles that he has in our life. Because so often, as we started this little series, so often people misunderstand the Holy Spirit. They think of the Holy Spirit as an it or a something, a power, but they don't have any way to relate to it. We easily relate to Jesus, the Son, because he became a man. And we can relate to God the Father as a fatherly image because we have fathers on earth. The Holy Spirit, however, is as much a part of the personality of the Trinity as the Father and Son are. So I just want to encourage us to appreciate the personality of the Holy Spirit, and all the things that he wants to do for you. I think many times we fear the Holy Spirit because we think he's going to do something to us. Or he's going to make us do something that we don't want to do. The Holy Spirit loves you. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through you. He wants to work for you. He wants to bring you into closer relationship with his Father. He wants to lead you to Jesus, to be a saving entity, to be the saving power of your life. And then he wants to be with you all of your life to be your helper and to be your advocate and to be the counselor that we so often need when we don't understand things. Because we all have things in our life that just kind of can rock our boat. And the Holy Spirit's promise is that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. I want to just talk about the power today of the Holy Spirit to bring justification and sanctification to our life. Justification and sanctification. The main role of the Holy Spirit, the main reason that he, he, he's here today is that he wants to lead you and I to Jesus. And he wants to make us more like him. That's his main role, is that he wants to lead you to Jesus. And then he wants to make us more Christ-like. This is a description of justification and sanctification. He wants to lead you to Jesus, and then he wants to make you more like Christ. And he does this in the act of justification and sanctification. I know these are big words. They're scary-sounding words. But I want you to know that there is nothing more freeing and nothing more life-giving than inviting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to justify and then to sanctify. Uh, my hope is through the day that we're going to take away the, the mysteriousness of these big words and we're going to make them very practical and we're going to make them real in our life. Justification. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. All right, justification. The first thing that this passage says is so Christ has truly set us free. Stop right there. That is justification. Because Christ set you free from your sin. Christ came in and he delivered you from your sin. And that is a positional statement now of your righteousness. 
So justification is a positional statement of righteousness. Because in that moment when you receive Jesus as your Savior, he immediately justified you like you have no sin because he covered your sin with his blood and he's forgiven you and positionally now you are righteous before God just like you have never sinned, all right? Sanctification is a process. Sanctification says now, it says now that you have, let me, let me back up a little bit, in that first verse that I just read, so Christ has truly set us free. Now, read the second passage, the second line. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law or don't get tied up, up again in sin. So justification is your freedom. Sanctification says now stay free. Live your life to stay free is the process of sanctification. Also, if you, in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, it says that we are to live our life in freedom. It says in this verse, I advise you to obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. Listen to that. I advise you to obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. If there are the Holy Spirit's instructions, the way he's saying it, there must be other instructions that he's advising you not to listen to. <laughs> Those might be from your own flesh, right? He says, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. He will tell you where to go and what to do, and then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. Sanctification. That we are now listening to the Holy Spirit because he's giving us the instructions on how we should be living in order that we can stay free. He's giving us the instructions so that we can be justified every day through our sanctification. Two big words, the act of justification and the process of sanctification. The act of justification, because it's a one-time deal. You're justified. Sanctification is a process of daily, daily being set free. Justification, the act, is immediately upon salvation that you are positionally righteous. It's God's righteous act of removing the guilt and the penalty of sin. It's nothing here. There's nothing you can do for your justification other than repenting. All you need to do is repent, and God justifies. I can't take any credit for it. I, can't, I don't have any responsibility there. It is God's mercy. It is God's grace. It is God's forgiveness. It's his, it's his love for me that all I do is I say, I'm sorry for my sin. Would you please forgive me? And immediately he justifies to say, just like I have never sinned. Totally his responsibility. Totally his act of doing. I can't take any credit. There's nothing in for me to do to be justified other than saying I'm sorry and repenting. Sanctification, however, is a process. It's developed over a lifetime. Some would say that you are instantly sanctified and then progressively sanctified. Okay, maybe you could say it that way. Or instantly sanctified would be basically the same thing as being justified. 
But the progressive nature, the progressing nature of sanctification says every day I have to live my life in order that I am staying free. Basically, sanctification is a process. It's a process of being set apart for God's work and committed to his purposes in my life. Sanctification is a process of being set apart from the world, set apart from my flesh, set apart from my selfish desires, set apart from the things that would make me worldly. Why am I being set apart? So that I can stay free of the bondage of the world, that I can stay free from the selfish natures of of my sin. It requires my intentional effort and my daily commitment. Sanctification requires my effort. I can't do it on my own. The Holy Spirit is the one doing it, but it requires my commitment, my choice, my decision to to be sanctified and and to be in a sanctifying process. It's being set apart from the things that seem good and fun in the moment but will end up killing me in the end. I will be honest with you. Sin can be fun. Anybody have anybody can attest to that fact that sin can be fun. Going out partying with the partying with the gang, doing the you know having the fun, having all the stuff. I mean, there is an element of enjoyment there. That's why it's so so much of a problem. I love to eat, and I can eat a lot. But if I eat a lot, I'm going to get really fat. And if I get really fat, I'm going to hurt myself down the road, right? And so I have to have a level of discipline that I learn to push myself away from the table. Even though I want to stay there and eat more and more, I love junk food, I love potato chips. I really do. But if I allow myself to eat a diet of potato chips, what am I doing to myself at the end? That's what sanctification is is that I am denying myself of the pleasures of the moment, knowing that it will give me a righteous result later, even if it hurts me in the moment. It's not always fun. I will tell you, sanctification is not always fun. It's a journey. Sanctification requires my effort. Justification is totally up to God. I repent, and he does the work. Sanctification says, now, Mike, I'm giving you the choices. I'm giving you the responsibility to guard your life so that you're proving your love for the Lord through our sanctification process. It's a journey. As long as I'm living, it's a journey. As long as I'm living, it's going to require honesty on my part. It's going to require me accepting the truth of God's word, whether I understand it all the time or not. And I can say that this is something that I can really enjoy, I can live for it, or I can struggle in it. It all comes down now to an attitude. It really does, folks. Most of, the, most of living for Christ in a joyful way is an attitude because I can either choose to be joyful, I can choose to have a good attitude, or I can choose to be angry and grumbling, or I can say, God, I don't, you're taking all of my fun away from me and I don't like it. 
it really comes down to an attitude. And I think many Christians aren't enjoying the process of daily progressing sanctification because it's a constant point of stress in their life. And there's an argument between the flesh man and the spirit man. It's not easy. I'm telling you right now, it's not easy. In fact, I won't even just tell you. I'm going to go to Scripture, and Scripture's going to tell you it's not easy. Galatians chapter 5, 17. We're going to stay in that, that book of the Bible. And uh, I'm going to read a few passages here. There's a fight of sanctification. It says, beginning at 17 of Galatians chapter 5, it says, For we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things that the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And the good things we want to do when the Spirit has His way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressures. See, it's when we give the flesh and the Spirit equal access that the fight exists in the life of a Christian person especially in a Christian person, because there's a battle between right and wrong all the time that's ongoing in our life. And the person has to decide constantly and continually who they're going to listen to. Are you going to listen to the right person or the wrong person in your life? That voice in your mind, which one are you going to listen to? So the fight continues. And this is what it looks like according to Paul. Let's continue to read in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19 through 21. It says, But when you follow your own, when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all sorts of things. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list of stuff, isn't it? That's what happens to the flesh. When I let the flesh man control me, that's the result. That's what's going to happen. That's what the flesh produces. But the Holy Spirit produces, again, staying in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces these things. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here there is no conflict with the Jewish laws, or there's no contact with the nature of humanity. The Holy Spirit produces good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's what he does. Now let me give you an example of what this fighting looks like. There's an old Indian proverb that, that says this. Let's read this together. It says, this is a, uh, an Indian proverb. It says, a tribal leader is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he says to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two dogs. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, pride, superiority, and ego. He continues, and the other is good. 
He has joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you and inside of every person, every other person too. The grandson thought about this for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which dog will win? The chief simply replied, the one you feed. Isn't that true? Which man are you feeding? Are you feeding the one of your flesh or are you feeding the man of your spirit? The one that you feed will ultimately win. Again, according to Paul, Galatians 5, 24 and 25, it says, Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil, evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So this is the process of sanctification. It may seem hard, and it may seem boring, and it may take all the fun of life, but it truly is the most exciting and the most thrilling and the most freeing experience for us when we can truly accept the process of sanctification. Now, some say the, the enemy would, would say that um, being set apart from the world is a bad thing. The enemy would say that. Because it would be, um, he would say that's only for the weird Christian. That's only for the fanatical Christian. That's only for the pastor. That's only for the leaders of the church. No, uh, I can go through life living the way I want to live, and it's only the weak ones that can't handle the fun of the world, really. It's a crutch. Salvation's a crutch. Sanctification's a crutch. The enemy will do everything he can to lie to you, but that's not the truth of what God's love is really all about. See, God has the best in store for his children. Think about that. Once you become a child of God, he has the best in store for you. And he wants to make your life more full and more complete and more encompassing. He doesn't want to take anything away from you. He wants to give you everything. If that's the case, then why do we struggle so much with the sanctification? See, the Holy Spirit wants to kill and destroy the bad things. And he wants to nurture and grow the good things. Now, I just want to pause here for a minute because so many times we shut out <laughs> what's going on. We get halfway into the sermon and we get bored or we get distracted. And so I'm going to stop here for a minute and I want to hear, are you with me? <laughs> are, are you listening? Are you getting this? Because if you've been daydreaming, I want to pull you back. <laughs> because I want us to understand how important this is. How important sanctification is. We have to recognize that there are no secrets with God. I may be living a life of secrecy that nobody else knows. And I might think I'm getting away with it. But I will tell you that the Holy Spirit sees all. And there are no secrets with him. And you cannot buffalo him in any way, shape, or form. So as we've already mentioned... The Holy Spirit role in our life is to save us, to draw us to Jesus. And then he convicts us and he gives us a desire to do 
the things that are right before the Lord, even if they're contrary to the flesh. He gives us the instructions. It's hard, folks. I will say that it's hard. And this is where we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit if we are going to successfully set ourselves apart from the flesh and sin of this world. If you think you can do it on your own, I'm going to tell you, you can't. You might do it for a little bit. You might do it this afternoon. But I will pretty much tell you, by the time next Sunday comes around, if you're doing it on your own, you will have failed. That's why we need to have the presence of the Holy Spirit. I would, this is just a little bit out of John 15, but I would invite you to go back through John 15 and read it yourself this afternoon, the whole chapter. The highlight is, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, what that means is, for those that have relationship with me, for those that I have relationship with, for those that have accepted me as their Savior, this is what happens, that they will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're living a life of religion without relationship, you're going to struggle really big. And this is why we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Young and old alike, you will not be able to maintain your old sinful lifestyle and at the same time have a new walk with Jesus. It's going to require a change of daily process. Your daily choices are going to have to change. I'm just going to say it as gently as I can, but yet as truthfully as I can. If you were living a life of sin yesterday, except Jesus today, your life has to change tomorrow. You can't live like you lived yesterday and think you're walking on a path pleasing to Jesus if you haven't had a change in your heart. That's sanctification. You may be justified for the moment, but you must have the process. God loves us so much that he accepts us as we are. Thank goodness he does. He accepts you in your sin because he loves you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. So he accepts you as you are. When you come to him in repentance and and, and, and a brokenness in your heart for the sin of your life, he says, yes, I am so thankful you've come to me. I've been waiting for you to come home. You're forgiven. You're justified. Now, he loves you so much, though, he understands the pull of sin. He understands what happens when the enemy will get back in the saddle again in your life. And so now he's not going to allow you to stay the way you are. He's going to bring to you a level of conviction, some new ideas, some new sets of convictions for your life, but they have to be grounded in God's Word. That's why it's so important that you understand and you read God's Word. We're going through our 16 Fundamentals teaching in our Sunday school class, and and we're emphasizing there that the reason that we have to have these fundamentals in our life is because if I don't know what God's Word says, then how do I know what's right and how do I know what's wrong? It's so easy to be deceived. It's so easy for someone to take a verse out of context and make it say anything they want to say. If you don't understand what was before it and what was after it, you don't really appreciate the context of God's word. And then, therefore, it's so easy for for false deception, false teachings to come in and just really mess you up. There's a lot of false teachings that sound good at the beginning, but they're just off just enough at the beginning that by the time you get to the end, you're not even close to the mark. 
And what we're trying to do here is try to teach the Word, teach God's Word so that we understand His principles and that we're living by His principles and not by the things that my itchy ears want to hear. Because I always don't like correction and I always don't like rebuke. I love encouragement, but the Bible is to correct and rebuke and encourage. That's what sanctification is. That's the proof that God loves us and that he loves us as we are, but the Holy Spirit has no intention of leaving you there. He's coming after you. Once you've accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit's job is to come after you with conviction. That moment when you're in that decision point of do I do it or don't do it. I used to do it before and I didn't have a conviction over it. Now he's giving you a conviction over the, some of the stuff that you did before. That's what his role is. Your process or your responsibility is to listen to his voice. Listen to him and then do what he's asking you to do, even if it might appear that you have to change some things in your life because you do. I would just say it. You may have to change friends. You may have to change the gang you hang out with. You may have to change your previous relationships with people and organizations because not, not every organization is a good organization. Some will lead you down a path of unrighteousness and sin. It's obvious, isn't it? Let's not play the games of the world and let's just let the Lord really work in our heart and work in our life. There's three major roles that the Holy Spirit does in his way of in his process of making us holy number one he helps us become a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to the lord romans 12 1 and 2 it says therefore i urge you brothers and sisters i love the one paul has passion because he uses words like i urge you i, I plead with you that's how serious this is he says i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is urging his fellow brothers and sisters that because of God's grace and God's mercy, that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. That says I can't continue to live selfishly, self-absorbed in my own lifestyle where it's all about me and all about the way I want to live. But rather, I need to put that aside and I need to say, no, I want to live the way the Lord wants me to live. That's what sanctification really looks like. It's a dedicated and a committed lifestyle that honors Christ by denying ourselves of sinful pleasures. The second thing that he wants to do See, he wants, us to, he wants to help us grow up spiritually towards spiritual maturity. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Peter says, you already know these things, dear friends. So he's obviously speaking to Christians. So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's obvious by reading a passage like this that Peter is talking to Christians. But the process of sanctification is not an automatic thing. It doesn't happen unless we apply ourselves to it. That you must grow in the grace and the knowledge. 
I can be a Christian. I can say, well, I was saved. I'm 61. I was saved when I was 12. But just because I'm 61 doesn't make me a a more mature Christian. I can be very immature in my Christianity if I haven't applied my life to sanctification. If I haven't studied God's word, if I haven't grown up in the word, I can be a very immature 61-year-old person spiritually. At the same time, a 14-year-old that was saved at 12 could be very mature spiritually because they've devoted themselves to reading the word. They've devoted themselves to learning what God is asking them to do. So spiritual maturity has nothing to do with time. So just because you may be an older person in the room here doesn't mean you're spiritually mature unless you have really applied the process of sanctification to your life where you have studied God's word and you've applied it to your life and you've made good choices. See, we can be living a life of deception and never really growing up in Christ. The Holy Spirit's role is to help us grow up in the things of God and to be protected from the enemy's ongoing efforts to continually deceive us. I'm going to tell you right now, and you already know this, the enemy is, re- is, is relentless. He is evil, and he hates you, and he's doing everything he can to destroy you. I want you to know that. But we have the power over him, and it's all through our process of sanctifying ourselves before the Lord by keeping ourselves justified by making good choices. It's one of the major roles in the life of every believer is to get deeper spiritually. Get into the Word of God. Come together in Bible studies. Make yourself available. Don't try to keep yourself apart from people because if you keep yourself apart from God's people, it's going to hurt your maturity. It's going to hurt your growing process. You need people. You need godly people to feed into your life. And you need to feed into their life. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit will help us continually cleanse and purify ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh of the world. The Holy Spirit will help us continually, here's, that's the key word, continually cleanse and purify ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Do you see the context of this passage? Because we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. That is, a, that is me taking responsibility to cleanse myself. The Holy Spirit's not going to come in and do it for you unless I invite him in, unless I then do the work required to do the cleansing by his power. And let us work toward complete holiness. We talked about the omnipotence of God or the all power of God a few weeks ago. We talked about the power of choice. Our choices are so powerful that I can ignore God's calling in my life. Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but it's my choice to accept it or not accept it. My choice trumps his sacrifice for me. Your choice can trumpet for you, or you can apply it and be saved. Or I can apply it and be saved. It's my choices, so powerful, 
that the Holy Spirit is just waiting on us. He's waiting on me to invite him into my life. He's waiting on you to invite him into your life. And when you invite him into your life, he will help you live a life of sanctification. He will help clean you up. But if you don't invite him in, there's really nothing he can do. You know, the Holy Spirit's role is to take us to task in areas of our life. He is to give us a conviction of the things that are hurting our relationship with the Lord. That's one of his roles. Here's, uh, just imagine this. You see, Jesus died for the sinner. He died for the, for the self-righteous. He died for the um, liar. He died for the murderer. He died for the gossiper. He died for the sexual sins of people. He died for the drunkards. He died for all these things, right? I mean, he gave his life for those people. When he hung on the cross there, the sin of the world was upon him. And the sin of the world crushed him and broke his heart. And for that, Jesus gave up his life. Now, think of it. What are we doing to him when I intentionally sin? When I intentionally have those sexual thoughts go through my mind? Or when I intentionally gossip? Or when I intentionally become angry? Or I intentionally get drunk, play the game of the partier. I mean, when I intentionally do those things, imagine how you're hurting him. He died for that. And yet we take it lightly and we play with it, the things that he died for. Why do we do that? Do, do we not see the pain that we're bringing to God? Because he sacrificed his son for those sinful, detestable things, and we play with them like we can play with them and get away with it. Help us, Lord Jesus. Because I will tell you that if, if you live a lifestyle like that in any way, shape, or form, you're not pleasing the Lord. And I will just say it again, you're not probably not going to make it to heaven. I'm just going to tell you that because you don't get there. The Bible says those that play those games don't get to heaven. You might fool people in church and you might fool people in this world, but if you're not living, if you're not taking sanctification seriously, the setting apart seriously, I'm telling you, you're playing a game that in the end you will lose. And how many people might be following you is another thing. If I'm a parent, if I'm a pastor, if I'm a leader, and if I'm playing games that way and people are following me because of my inconsistencies and they're following me into hell, not a good place, folks. So I'm just trying to make a big point about it. <laughs> I want to make a big point about it because I want you to see how freeing it is when I live a sanctified life that I don't worry about that because I'm living a life that's pleasing the Lord and how good that is. Man. I want to finish with an example that Jesus gives, that gives about sanctification. We don't often read this passage in this light. This is John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. The, the Living Bible translation says this. A crowd soon gathered, and, and, and Jesus, this is talking about Jesus, and he sat down and talked to them. As Jesus was speaking, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and placed her out in front of the staring crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Moses' law says to kill her. What do you say about it? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that, could they, that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, 
hurl the stones at her until she dies. But only he who never sinned may throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote some more things in the dust. And the Jewish leaders slipped away one by one, beginning with the eldest, until only Jesus was left in front of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is an interesting story. Because the moment of the last verse here, when Jesus says, Neither do I, she became justified. Because Jesus must have seen something in this woman that was repentant in her spirit. You've got to understand the context of the story. This woman was guilty. She was caught in the act of adultery. This isn't false news. <laughs> this is the truth. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now, some would say, well, where was the man? Well, that's a good question. Where was the man? He had, there had to be a man with her as well. Why wasn't he here? Let's not go there right now. That's not the point. The point, she was caught. And the Pharisees were right. According to the law of Moses, she should have been stoned, and she knew it. So she was pretty, pretty, um, she was in a tough spot. She comes before them, and she's not realizing that this is a test for Jesus. She's thinking she's going to die here, that she's going to be stoned. And so you've got to imagine that her heart is repenting. She is probably saying, I am sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. And she probably had a, had a real repentant heart. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he can see things that we can't. He's fully man, fully God, and I've got to wonder, what was he writing when he was writing in the stand? What was he writing? He was doodling something. What was he writing? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. He might have been writing a prayer to God and say, God, what's up with this woman? Is she guilty, and what should I do about it? Okay, he might have been saying something like that. He might have been listing the sins of the men that were there accusing her. He might have been listing all their sins, and they're reading it. Oh, that's my sin, that's my sin. He might have been writing down the phone numbers in her little black book. That maybe it was these guys here. I mean, it might have been their phone numbers. You know, we don't know. But we do know that Jesus saw the heart of the woman. And in the heart of the woman, he said, I see your repentance. Therefore, in the moment, you are justified. Because I don't judge you anymore. There's no judgment here. But the most important thing was now. Go and sin no more. That's the act of just sanctification. He didn't say go and commit your, go back in your lifestyle of adultery. He didn't say that was, he, there, in fact, there's no place in God's scripture are we ever given the, uh, the, uh, given the authority to go back and live the lifestyle that we were in. So don't play the game. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Don't play the game. Jackie, would you come? So as we apply this message in our life today, sanctification, it's a big word, but all it means is being set apart. Really what it means is loving Jesus more than loving the things of this world. I hope that we can see areas in our own lives that we can apply this. After our moment of realizing that we're guilty and we deserve to die in our sin, when Jesus takes away our penalty by forgiving us, I hope that we can then see, Father, I can't play games anymore with you. 
I want to finish the, today's message by one last passage in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. My prayer this morning for this church, my prayer for all of us sitting in this room today or hearing this message online, that we are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that we're not denying our guilt anymore. We're not playing games with him. It's time, folks, to make the change in our life. If we want his fullness, if we want his ongoing sanctification, if we want to remain justified, it's time to stop playing games. The questions I have for you, are you justifying yourself? Are you justifying your actions this morning? Would you close your eyes with me, please? I just want some self-evaluation here. Are we trying to protect our position of our self-righteousness? Or are we allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and truly, truly make us righteous? Oh, Father. Are you slipping back into your old sinful lifestyle or selfish choices? Is life ever becoming, again, all about me, what I want to do? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I give you the authority to do your work in my life and in the life of this church. That you have the right to come in and convict. Your conviction is not condemnation. Your conviction says, I love you so much, I want to show you where to change. This morning, if the Holy Spirit is impressing that in your life, I urge you not to ignore it. I urge you not to push it away. I urge you to welcome it and to make the changes as you need to make.
this morning as you're in this time of quiet and seeking the Lord and what He's asking of you. I pray that you don't let this moment go by. That you make the change, whatever that looks like, whatever that is in your heart. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to call me this week. If this was a big day for you, if the Lord has done something in your heart, I'm going to ask you to more than just raise your hand. I know that we'd say that a lot, but you know that's too easy, folks. I, I want you to do more. I want you to call me sometime this week and talk to me about it. Share with me what the Lord's doing in your life so that I can encourage you that I can continue to build you up in love. I'm not going to condemn you. Nobody's going to condemn you here. But we want to encourage. We want to correct. We want to rebuke. We want to do what God's Word is doing, saying. Please call me this week sometime. Talk to me so I can help you. Holy Spirit, we just give you the authority to overwhelm us, overcome us today. And Lord, as we go to our homes, Lord, I pray that this this experience, this emotional experience does not leave us. Let it go with us throughout this day and just continue to impress upon us your goodness and your desire to change us and help us to be willing to allow that to happen in our life. We love you, Jesus. We praise your name, and we're so thankful that you've called us. Help us to choose you back in every way, in every area. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.